Hi, welcome to More Life, the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry, reform, and advocacy. I'm your host, Vankivia Gardner, and thank you all for joining us today. So I am really excited because it is March. And as we all know, March is Women's History Month. Um, and if you don't know, now you do know, March is Women's History Month. And it's just a month, although we appreciate women all year round, but this is really just a month dedicated to uh, really acknowledge the contributions women have um well, how women have contributed to history, how they've contributed to American history or just to society. And so one of the things that More Life will be doing is we're gonna be celebrating Women's History Month through a series. Um, and it's gonna be our Women's History Month series where we are going to just be highlighting the experiences of women as they transition from incarceration to the community. So our goal with this is really to bring awareness to the unique challenges of women involved in the criminal justice system, as well as discuss solutions um, and provide recommendations for supporting these women as they transition back into their communities. Um, and then along with that, we'll also just be celebrating the successes of women involved in the criminal justice system that actually are making those efforts um, to transition, to transform, and just highlighting these individuals. And we'll be providing resources and all types of additional information just regarding the experiences of women post-incarceration. So if you don't follow us on social media, you can definitely follow us at More Like the Reentry Podcast on Instagram, where we will have like a lot of different information there. But there also will be information in the description box below. But without further ado, for our first episode, the goal for today is to really just understand women involved in the criminal justice system, um, understand their experiences and kind of what their life looks like post-incarceration. So for us to do that, I have a very special guest who has a lot of experience, uh, a plethora of work that she has done in this area. And I would really like to introduce her. So. Her name is Dr. Crystal McIver. Um, Dr. McIver is the CEO of Crystal Solutions, LLC, which is a company uh, she developed to provide life and employment coaching. She is also a motivational speaker and the founder of the nonprofit organization Experience 180. Um, she has also founded and has led the Peace and Unity Community Garden um, efforts for the town of Sanford since 2012. And she is the founder of Organizations for Women of Color, Lock for Love, which is developed to help ladies of color connect with while empowering women to be amazing. Um, so a lot of experience working with justice-involved women, uh, just in the area in general. And because of her experience and the work that she has done, she has been the recipient of a lot of different awards. Um, so many that it'd be a really long list to um, list for today, uh, but it will be in the description box as well. But I do want to thank uh, Dr. McIver for coming on and just you know being willing to share her experiences and her story. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I am looking forward to this conversation. Um, and that is that is the truth. Let's get into it. Yes, ma'am. I love that. I love the energy. Um, I, I'm a big energy person. And I love when people have a lot of passion because it, it, it shows in the episode. So we can yes. get right into it then. So, okay, okay. So kind of like how I like to start is um, because everybody gets to their interest of reentry or their specific niche of reentry in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. So I really just want to start at the very beginning of how did you become interested in this particular area of, you know, women, females involved in the criminal justice system or post-incarceration? Yeah, good question. So this is... Um... This is multifaceted and there's so many layers to this answer. So I hope that I'm able to give it to you clearly and not lose myself or you in the story. So I, um, I became a life coach just by nature, you know, helping people navigate life. And um, I felt like I was really good at it. And people said I was really good at it. But then they started saying, what's your niche? And I'm like, I can help people. You know, I just talk to people. I help people figure it out. No, 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 you need a niche. And I worked for a community college. And uh, while I was working for that college, I started seeing 
um, seeing a theme. I started seeing people um, coming to the GED department um, because they were were mandated by the by the courts to come and work on their GED. Um, I'm thinking that the court systems thought that maybe if they went and worked on their GED, they would get some level of stability and maybe start working towards life in a different way. Um, but what I noticed was that they would come and then they would go. They would come and they would go and they just would not stay. And so I said, I'm going to figure out what's going on with this population. Um, unbeknownst to me, that was, that was um, and I believe in spiritual uh, guidance and things happening because it was supposed to happen. And, you know, developing a, at the time, and human resource development class to, to help these individuals finish GED. Um, I started noticing that they were justice involved. And as I started working with them, um, I became more interested in this population. Like, and then something just ignited in my head. You know, your mom and daddy were justice involved. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to myself here. Your mom and daddy were justice involved. Um, you were a foster kid. You were uh, adopted and you were homeless. And all of this spun from your mom and dad not having the foundation that was needed to keep you as a child. Why? Because they were in and out of jail. You see what I'm saying? And I'm like, wow, is that my niche? It became my niche. You know, um, one thing led to another. Um, I found that I was really good with working with this population. You know, I spoke their language. They enjoyed hanging out with me. Um, I was authentic and fair to them. It was just comfortable, um, which then led me to say, okay, um, I want to know more. I want to know more about um, where the system is, especially for women, because my mom lost her daughters because she was in and out of prison. So I wanted to know, like, well, where where is the system now helping women, uh, especially women who have children? And um, it allowed me to dive deeper and going into what you just said, a PhD study of um, justice involvement, um, but I want to narrow it down a little bit more, uh, which then my topic of interest became females. Um, and you know, as researchers, we find so much, I just get so involved with the research of it, but the research showed that um, 75 to 80% of women who were going into prisons had children. And um, I just got excited and one thing led to another. And that's where this new life of working with justice involved people started for me. You know, and I, I really like your story and how you like explained it because, and some people, a lot of people don't know this about me either, but I have a very similar story. Uh, that's how I became interested with family involvement, watching my mother help different family members go through this process and seeing the difficulties of it. And once you, you, you see it and you're like, okay, that's it. This is what, this is my niche, like what you said. And this is where I'm going to be most helpful. This is where I'm going to be most pack, impactful. So you kind of lean into those things. And I really like that. And it seems like you've leaned into really trying to understand women that are involved and their experiences post-incarceration because in all honesty a lot of times women are often neglected or overlooked when it comes to understanding their needs um, because when we look at statistics we oh well men are mostly like their rates of incarceration are higher but that doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the women that are cycling through the prison so we are very appreciative of your work and your passion for these things um and so that leads me to asking you some just questions about women that are involved in the incarceration system in general. Can you share with us like some trends of incarceration? Like what are we seeing as far as of like the profile of women that are involved? Yeah, you hit on some key things um, that, that I want to just uh, uh, revisit. Well, you know, it's been a while since I've done my research. I'd say my research is now five years old. Um, but during that time, 
women were rising, the women, the, the count of women uh, entering prison um, were rising. And I don't know, you know, you're, you're in your study now, maybe looking at, was that more or less that we weren't, we weren't really researching women and we didn't know, or is there a rise, truly a rise? Um, and so um, looking at that, um, was, was interesting to me too. There's limited research on women, you know, justice involved women, there's limited research. And so there's an opportunity for us to really get out there and get this information um, here. So I don't know if, 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 if women are not um, explored because of, you know, the, the noise that men can make, you know, most of the time we sit quietly. Um, but it was it was important to me to research and to find out. And some of the things that I found, of course, is that women, the pathway to prison for women is different um, for men. Um, and what I mean by that for those that are not researchers um, is that, you know, how we how we end up in prison. A lot of times women are victims as children. Um and, and, and their pathway to prison is usually pleasing uh, a man. And what I mean by that is they may not have sold the drugs, but they're going to take the charge. You know what I mean? Or they may have been molested or, um, and, and as a result had to take care of themselves, which could mean that they had to fight off um, someone that in, in results of them going to prison or jail. So when we talk about how women actually um, end up in prison and jail, it is so different from how a man um, is going to jail or prison. But then the challenges that females face uh, when they're in prison, um, such as many of them had children uh, before going to prison. And so the mindset of who's taking care of my children while I'm in prison, um, also oftentimes, and we don't want to talk about this, women are raped while they're in prison, um, resulting in them being pregnant while in prison and having to um, bear, you know, the childbearing stages of being in prison. Uh, women also have different needs. Um, and so while the prison system is one set, one side. These are the things that we offer you. This is the soap you're going to use. Uh, this is how many times you're going to be able to, um, you know, have, you know, uh, menstrual cycle needs. And so um, as I was looking into the women and the women being um, in prison was not really my research, but once they once they're released from prison. And that's where society thinks, okay, now you've gone to prison, come out, get yourself together. But women are facing unique challenges after prison, different from men, such as um, I know in my society, when a man gets out of prison, there's a party thrown, people are excited about it, there's some new shoes, everybody's saying home boy home. But when a woman is released from prison, nine times out of 10, she has children and she comes out with a set of responsibilities immediately. She has to find a home. She has to take care of her children. Uh, mental illness is, um, is on one of the highest rates is in a woman, right? So she has to go and find her therapy and her and her and her counselor, um, all while finding housing and childcare for her child. And so the barriers for a woman being released from prison um, are are main. You know, for me, they're more important, and not because I am a woman, but because it has not been studied or and it has not been addressed. And so, you find women going back to prison within three years of being released. And so, I think our conversation is really important because we want to find um, we want to find resources for females that are being released from jail or from prison. Yeah, I think that's another good point that you just mentioned there of like the criminal justice system has catered so much towards men um, that even the resources that we have post-incarceration, um, the tools that we have and all, you know, 
all those different things are are catered towards men. So when it's time for women to be released and it's time for them to go through this process, they don't have anything to equip them or to help them sustain throughout this process, which is like why it's so important that we talk about these things and we start doing more research in these areas. And you started talking about the unique needs of of women and you were talking about children. Um, are there any other like unique needs as far as of that pertain to women that are not just general challenges? Like you mentioned housing. A lot of individuals, yes, they have to do that too, but are there any other unique needs that we need to be aware of or that we need to know about pertaining to women? Well, well first of all, and just keeping it all the way 100, we are, as females, we are unique creatures, period. So our emotions are everywhere, you know what I mean? Um, our feelings, which are emotions, they're everywhere. So when, you, when a woman is released from prison, um, that's embarrassing. That's, that's the embarrassing stage that they have to face coming out into the community. Uh, most of the time for a man, it's like uh, Robert made it home. It's, it's, a, it's a braggadocious piece that he has gone to prison and he's out. But for a woman, you know, and I don't know, we, we are harder on women. You know, and again, especially if you have a child, your mama has kept your child and now you out day one. You need to take care of your responsibilities. And so a woman is expected day one to come out and make a change immediately and prove herself immediately, but not not understanding that that the drugs that you face out here on the street, women face inside the prison too. So a lot of them come out addicted to drugs. A lot of them come out uh, not understanding how to uh, how to effectively use resources. So how do I take care of my child? get my child in childcare, find employment, you know, the jobs that are out here that are, you know, that are accessible for people who have some kind of background are already the bottom of the barrel kind of work. So then imagine a woman having to do the bottom of the barrel kind of work. You know, in my town, um, it is a chicken plant or it's manufacturing where it's heavy labor. And so imagine a woman having to find employment, which limited employment for a person that is justice involved, but then also having mental illnesses, having to make it to those appointments during a time that counseling or therapy is offered, you know what I mean? And go to work and childcare and the emotional stress that females just have. Um, with one-sided society is, so as a woman, and being a woman of color, you you are really, really stretched with the support that is needed. Uh, low self-esteem. Women, when they come out of prison, their self-esteem, their self-worth is, is shot, you know. And then, you know, we having to go to probation officers. And most of the time, your probation officers are, man, you got to pee in a cup or you got to do whatever you have to do for those probation officers. And that in itself, in a nutshell, is low rating the self-esteem. And so uh, women struggle emotionally on a different angle than a man does. And so we can go forever about that, but women do have unique challenges, especially when coming out of jail or prison. And, and I'm not even gonna say especially, period. Through the whole criminal cycle, um, Finding attorneys, you know, for a woman, they're emotional. So we're so we're 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 always looking for cues through body language, and we get them mixed up. So we don't find the right attorneys. We we have a hard time again, like I said, with the probation officers. So um, what I found in my study and what what the lady shared with me, which was you know helpful, was connection. You know, we have to have a relationship. And so uh, the criminal system could, could, you know, lend itself to supporting women more by understanding that women are more successful when there's a true relationship built. Yeah. I definitely, um, I definitely agree with all of that is, uh, you know, 
that connection piece is is so important just as a woman to be able to have that with whether it's your probation parole officer um so you can really lean into those relationships and you know really rely on them as supportive um and really see them as supportive but it's so hard to do that and what i'm hearing from you is women on top of the general challenges that maybe most people have when they come, there's this layer of psychological uh, stress that they have to go through as well, that there's a level of shame because due to their incarceration, uh, which leads to embarrassment. And children, you just said most women have children. And, I, and I've even seen that in just research that um, I've looked at or that I've read about is most women do have children. And they do have to immediately come back to those responsibilities afterwards. And it, it just seems there's a lot of lot of layers to this. And I'm wondering also, I was thinking about this in your research, have you ever been able to look at on top of the intersection between, I guess, gender and like race um, and how that contributes to any additional challenges a woman may encounter during reentry? Well, not so much during my research, but here lately um, in my true on the ground work um, in my own reentry um, process, I, I call it a process because I learned that a program is not the is not the appropriate uh, idea for reentry. Uh, but through this process, I have learned that um, you know culturally, uh, African American culture. Uh, you know, struggles as a whole. And so the support after being released from prison isn't there. Um, you know, a lot of times a, a female who has gone to jail or prison, her mom also has gone to jail or prison. And so there is a, there is a, um, a history repeating itself. And so when you come out, the support, your, your mom is usually trying to make it herself. And what I want you to, you know, for listeners to remember that um, imprisonment does, you know, coming out of prison doesn't mean that this ends. You know, coming out of prison actually starts a new set of challenges for these individuals because once you have a record, once you have something on your background and you're going out into the community trying to reassess and reconnect, um, that keeps being thrown back up. And if you don't have the financial backing and you don't have the family support and you don't have the connections in the community, a lot of times just by being um, justice involved puts a wall up for you. And, and what I'm noticing in the African, African American community for those that are justice involved, um, the support is not there. The community support isn't there um, and the financial support isn't there. Um, individuals who are, who are of other nationalities financially can um, help pay those probation officers. You know, you come straight out of prison. I have some women who come straight out of prison with a debt already. You got to pay a bill already. And sometimes that's $100 a month. And so if you don't have the family members who are willing to pay that for you and you can't find employment, that's added stress to you. And typically in the African-American family, uh, those that are justice involved. And through my own research, those were the, the women that I that I um, used as data were African-American women. And they did not have the financial family support to help them. Um, and so I don't know, I hope I, I hope I stayed in your in your question because I could go around and around. <laughs> No, I think you're you're right on track there because, um, yeah, I was just trying to see because there are different challenges. I do think there's a layer of when you add in, you know, the race, especially if you are of some minority status, it does the process becomes a little bit more complex. And I really like that you um, said explain that this is a process there's there's not a program that you can go through that's going to have all the tools um to help you go back out there and you know make this work or show up because like right. you said it's always going to be thrown in your face 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with my, uh, you know, after I, I completed my dissertation, I said, now let me take this research and use it. And so, you know, creating a nonprofit experience 180, when you think about the word experience 180, I thought about the circle that so many of them go in. I'm like, how do you experience something different? So that's where 180 came from. But under experience 180, the, the, the re-entry process is called total package. And we call it total package because, like you said, it's not a program, but there are programs that need to be a part of this process. And so many programs have a re-entry piece in it, which is bogus to me. You know what I'm saying? Do your job. If your job is, is if a housing specialist, then that's your job, you know, um, but there's no different way that you should treat a person that has come from jail or prison. Um, and so you don't need that piece. There needs to be a process here that allows these individuals to seamlessly use the resources. And so what we do at our program, and I found this, Ms. Garner, is that so many people that are justice involved are broken. They're, they're hopeless. And it comes from a from a continuous um, negative way of treatment. So prison is supposed to be reformed. It is definitely not. People go in broken, they get broken more and they come out even more broken. And so what our process does is a mindset. And what I have noticed in the three years that we have been running this process and that we have been testing this process is if you could teach a person the difference between subconscious and conscious ways of thinking. If you could teach a person that their mind is the power, that if they can rethink, if they can think, if they can learn body language and talk and tone and communication, if they can learn um, a different way of presenting themselves, because so many times we want to change the system. And I know the system is broken, but in our process, we help change that person's from their from their mindset, right? Um, and what these people have done is change their mind. And so they talk different when they go to these resources. They stand different when they go to these resources. And so then the resource people treat them differently when they meet them. You understand what I'm saying? They're not, I don't, I don't let them go out when they're broken. When you still broken and you hopeless, you don't need a resource. I need housing. Mm-mm, mm-mm. If we can find you something right now that'll just weigh you over until I can get your energy, because I'm a big, big advocate of this is how you sell yourself as to how people treat you. But you only sell yourself based on how you think about yourself. And so we take them in and we retrain the brain. We retrain. We talk about the frontal lobe. We talk about consciousness and subconsciousness and, 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 and being able to think differently. And once that happens, they go out. I got some to say, I don't even feel like I've been to prison. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad, but but they have changed their mind. They're getting their driver's license back. They buying houses. They're getting cars. But it's not at a speed of the system changed. Yeah, I do know policies need to change. But until they do, let's work on you. And People become empowered knowing that they can do something about themselves. And, you know, I, I 100% wholeheartedly agree with that. I have had so many people on my podcast talk about mindset and like being in the mental health field, that's a particular area that I'm interested in because I believe, you know, you change your thoughts your feelings will change, your behaviors are thing, you know, will change as well. Like that's classic CBT, what we learn here. And there's some, there's some truth to that. There's some reality, reality to that. And I've had so many people talk on here about what you're talking about is when you get these individuals, we can't change this. Well, we can't change the system. How long that will take? Quite a while. Uh, (laughs) Policies do need to be changed, but there are some things that we can do or these individuals can do to take some personal accountability and start moving, take that accountability accountability and start making some personal change. And that's starting mm-hmm. with how do you see your situation? 
if you see your situation as they're going to keep letting, they're going to keep making me go back rather than, okay, what can I do to ensure that I don't go back? Exactly. There's, there's some power in that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I teach them. We got three sources of power. Um, and we, and we do just all kinds of activities to, um, to retrain the brain, you know, activities such as, you know, um, the happy pie and, and it's, and it's, it's, it's public knowledge, but the happy pie says that 10% of your happiness is stuff. If I get a new car, if I get a new house, if I get this, if I get that, it's just stuff. But 40% of your happiness is your intentional way of thinking, if you think it on purpose. And so I teach them how to wake up in the morning and actually segment their day out. Wake up in the morning. Some people believe in meditation. Some people don't. I'm cool with whatever. Um, But I teach them those that don't. It's called the imagination station sit for a moment in the morning and just imagine how you want your life to be. And the more you practice changing that kind of, or using that kind of mind power, then they start noticing like people talk to them different. Why? Because I see myself different. Why do I see myself different? Because I practice believing in myself from an inside, not, 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 not outside. And I tell them you believe in you first before you expect somebody else to believe in you. And so we practice that. We practice, you know, what would it sound, what does it look like to think this thought on purpose? No, Dr. McIver is not going to get you a job. And I talk smack about, uh, we heard your program help with job. No, we do not. Well, can your program help us get a job? No, but every person that come in there looking for a career or looking for a job, end up with a job. Do you understand what I'm saying? When they change their own mind and learn how to communicate um, without even an application. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the power of the mind. And this thing um, has really hit, you know, with my, with my group, with my people, the success, um, truck driving, um, um, heavy machine operating, nurse aid, they're going back to college, working on bachelor's degrees, working on associate's degrees, because we we time out for, I just want a job that just pay me anything. That's a thought process. You know what I'm saying? That, that in itself, and I have taught them, that's a low vibrating thought. I just want a job that'll teach them. Haven't you already been hurt long enough? So I teach them how these jobs are also a product of your low self-esteem. Because when you get that job check, you can barely take care of anything. But if we could get you in a mindset of believing in yourself and knowing that you deserve to do that thing that scares you the most, and I make them tell me what it is and we start moving towards that. But that has a lot to do with uh, believing that people matter. It don't matter what kind of background you have. It don't matter where you came from. It don't matter who your mom and daddy are. It don't matter if you've been in prison 34. I got them coming out from 30, 40 years. But believe in yourself because you came all the way to this planet called Earth to do something. And if you're not dead yet, you can still do it. And so I hope we ain't went off task. <laughs> No, I just saw the passion fuel in there. And I and I love that because I think that there, there's so much truth in that, regardless if you're just as involved or not, believe in yourself and whatever mm-hmm. it is that you want to do. Um, and just as involved people, particularly, a lot of them come out of the system believing that they are not going to be able to do this. And so they don't. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the system is... Um, not contributing to that because it is mm-hmm. but we also have in a sense got to look at ourselves and okay what am I doing that's kind of still fostering this mm-hmm. the same things um, but believing yourself you know how confident are you in your ability to be able to make this transition um, and you know I, I just think that's so important in the program that you're having that you have um well, the process that you have these individuals going through is so important and it seems like it's benefiting them. Mm-hmm. 
so many successes. That's what we love to hear. I love yeah. to hear success stories yeah. about people that are, they making it, they doing it. They doing what they never thought they would be able to do. They doing it. They on my board. Uh, they working for the homeless shelter when they came from the homeless shelter. Some of them going to get peer support training. Um, but my thing is no one ever taught them that they were all of that. That's that's my first thing in the class. Why are you so dope? They all go around telling why they so dope. And I think for me as a coach, um, I understand brain coding. And so they don't know they're getting brain codes. But as, as much as they can say that they are dope and why they so dope, and I run around high-fiving and they all jump up high-fiving, it's like a family, they said. And that was what my research said. Those women were saying when they got out of, you know, you've gone to jail or prison, some of them go for family support. You know what I'm saying? Some of them go and come back because they have grown a family inside of there. And so we grew a family out side we meet every Tuesday morning and um, they said it's like they church we're not really in there talking about interviewing skills and job skills I mean to be truth and honest with you 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 about could tell somebody how to do an interview in a 30-minute conversation but uh, keep them in class for months and months and months to learn interviewing skills and those kind of things when they don't believe in themselves um that's just a um a method that I have tried and I really, really appreciate how well it's working for the population that I am serving, um, changing the mind, being able to understand that the mind is a system, not just saying change the mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? But but teaching how the mind actually works, like the brain is an organ that's been programmed but you tell the brain what to think. And based on what you think is how you act, is how you feel and how you are received. And so we're teaching people how dope they are, which is changing their mind. I teach people to brag, you know what I'm saying? And see yourself as, as amazing. And then you act amazing. And regardless of how people treat you, it might be something they got going on in their own mind. You know what I mean? Um, haven't been beaten. Some of my some of my guys come out, they've been beaten in prison. They've been water hosed in prison. They've been raped in prison. That starts getting in 21 days, gets a habit. So being in there for 25, 30 years, you got to know mentally they are broke down. So when they come out, the first thing you say is get a job. I'm like, what? 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 Go get a job? How would you go? What car would you drive? How would you get to work on time? That's the only thing you worried about is me getting a job. And so I've even gotten them not now saying, if you want to be a part of our family, don't talk about no job. You know, you at least need 40 hours of mindset to sort of re retrain yourself to understand, not even retrain because some people never had it. That's why some are going to prison now. Because they never believed or knew who they really, really, they don't really know who they really, really are. And so I told a package program, Mindset, um, is exploring what the brain is and how the brain actually works and how did it get its information and now how do I retrain it? We just talked to them last week about the five-second rule. And that five-second rule is something taught by Dr. Uh, Dr. Mills on YouTube. Watch YouTube and TED Talks and things like that. Um, hesitation is one of the biggest tricks that the brain has. And the moment that you hesitate, the brain thinks that you really don't want it. And so asking for a job or believing in yourself, those are hesitating mind things, but getting up in the morning, eating food, your brain don't hesitate, right? So I'm teaching them to don't hesitate. If it's something that you want, raise your hand in class. I don't care how crazy it sounds because we retrain in the brain to don't hesitate, right? So people can change when they feel like they got the support and that, that people believe in them and, and, and that they are supported in the change that has to happen. And so Total Package is just, again, a program that's helping people hold their whole um, mentality about themselves and about life. 
Yeah, and I think that's important because a lot of people, like you said, they don't come out with the psychological tools to be able to sustain any of those things, a job, a house, and but that's the primary focus. Um, and rather than some of the maybe secondary needs um, or overlooked needs, whatever you want to call them, um, those things. And so I really like what your program is doing. And honestly, I might have to reach out to you and see if we can get some of them on here to talk about their story and their experiences um, and just share with us like what they've been learning and how it's impacted their life. Girl, you would never get rid of them. <laughs> That's what you I would love. never. They would love it. They would love it. And if you if you ever was able on a Tuesday morning and I could set this thing up in class and have them roll through, it, it would blow their mind. Really? You know what? Let me tell you, I took them to the movies. <laughs> Some of them had never been to a movie. Well, sometimes I said Purple Rain. And Titanic was the last movies that some of them had ever seen, like sat down in the movies. I'm talking about these are real humans. Right. I'm trying to introduce them to, to, to life so they can want to live. Mm-hmm. Understanding like after coming from prison or jail, you telling me to go get a job. I don't even want to live. Mm-hmm. They went and saw, they did not Titanic, they see Titanic. They went and saw, um, Wakanda, the Black land. Panther. I knew that's what you were about to say. <laughs> uh-huh. It it was amazing. It was amazing just uh, exploring and exposing them to everyday life, mm-hmm. and it's so rewarding for me to be able to have been a product of that whole system. Um, the result of me being adopted was because my mom and dad were just as involved and the system I feel failed my mom at supporting her and helping her keep her children. You know, and that's another thing when women come out of jail or prison and cannot get back on feet, that same system will come then come in and take their children. <laughs> And take your children. And that creates even more of depression and a psychological path that that woman has to go through. And I'm just like, how does that help? It it doesn't help, man. You know, and this, this is a nice segue into our next section, too, of what does help? You know, what what can we do to start being supportive? Um, I know there's tons of policies that we could probably do, but on a on a more, um, what is this, micro level, community level, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor level, what can we do to start better supporting women that are involved in the justice system and their reentry process? That is, that is a very good question. I really think that we should have more conversations. I think that this topic should be explored more and I think it should be more public. Um, It is the best kept, worst kept secret. Um, We do not talk enough about it. And so people don't know. I would like to say that people should behave different but people behave different when they know different. And as you stated earlier in our conversation, you know, the, the male reentry and the male uh, population of justice involvement is so heightened that there is no light shed on the female justice involved population. And so then there's limited information. And um, so one thing we could do is start having more conversations about it. One thing we could do is start highlighting and, and exploring it a lot more. Um, but the second piece is, um, you know, understanding and that, that comes from knowledge, that comes from learning, that comes from studying. But after that's being done, um, speaking to these females and, and exploring and talking to them a little bit more about what their needs are, Um, would have to take place because so many times we think because we're the expert or we went to school or we're a policy changer or we're in government that we the expert and we know. Some of the things these females shared with me, I wouldn't have even 
thought about if I had not had a conversation with them. Um, and so uh, more education around this topic is needed. Um, and, and more understanding of the emotional disparities of females and understanding again, as I said, the pathway to going to prison starts from being a victim as a child. And so adding more mental health services around, um, around the self-esteem of a, of a female. Um, many of these females that have gone to jail or prison were molested as kids. Um, many of them were molested by their own parent. Um, and so identifying what it is that a female needs, um, identifying and creating more gender specific programs and, and, and processes. Um, in my program, um, the, the, the process of total package is that we meet on Tuesday mornings from 10 to 12. And I will tell you, I have women that come in, um, but because I've got about 40 men and about five women in the room, the women sort of go, go under. And so having gender specific programs where women can have conversations authentically and true, uh, but that's going into the policy. So um, there's a number of things that we can do. Yeah, I agree. And it, it definitely sounds like there needs to be in the, especially in the realm of like research, more research trying to understand the perspectives of women, because I honestly believe these individuals that are going through this actual process, they're the expert of their experiences. They know because they're they're going through it directly. So their voices need to be heard. So more conversations, more research in those areas. And then we can start applying some of those things, maybe changing some of these policies, making gender specific uh, treatment programs or um resources for these individuals um so i think all of those are really great and things that will be really supportive for women yeah. yes ma'am i think as i think as a whole just just did the value of women period yeah. we could do better yeah i definitely agree um, and so I guess before we move off of here, um, I do want to ask you a couple of things of just like, uh, what, are there any resources, medias, books, or recommendations that you have about um, women that are involved in the justice system that you would announce for our audience or anything like that that you know? I'd have to say not at this moment. Okay. Um, because I myself am still exploring. Mm -hmm. um, I, I am a fan of uh, the conversation about evidence-based, uh, but I still feel that as a culture, as a society, as the world, we still don't have it right. Um, and so I do um, just recommend anyone that's working with this population um, to lean more into your clients, uh, participants or customers, whatever it, it may be, uh, because they're going to tell you, if you listen intently, they're going to tell you what they need. So, um, and everybody is different, you know. Uh, we may read a book about this population, but then you sit with Amy and she doesn't meet anything that that book you know, mentioned or that this, that this experience or this or is not her experience. And so um, each person is an individual. Um, and so exploring each person and working with them at their level um, is, is just one thing I found was very beneficial for me. Yes, uh, and thank you for sharing that because that was going to be my next thing I was going to ask you. Um, and maybe you might have something else, so I'm still going to ask. Um, what is one thing that you would want the audience to remember about working with women involved in the criminal justice system? I will say that we exist. Um, and it we are different. We are different. You know, we lump that that population as one, um, I, I would say that we are different and we should be explored different. Um, we have different needs. And 
um, imprisonment does not end once released. Instead, there's a new set of challenges that are faced. And for females, um, especially those that are moms, um, or even if you're not a mom, but you are, um, you know, someone's, you're someone's child, um, the experience of coming from prison or jail for a female uh, has its own unique challenges. And so I would say to anyone that's working with a female um, that's coming from jail or prison, uh, build a relationship with that female first because females um, need to, to have that trust. And, and it, that for, for, for many reasons, we have to trust and we have to have a bond. Um, we have been, most female justice-involved people have been um, hurt so or not, and, and where they can't trust. And so building the relationship is going to be very important. Yes, I and I agree with all of that. And I thank you for, you know, coming on More Life and just sharing, you know, your not only your research, but your practical experiences of working with women involved in the criminal legal system. Um, I hope the audience really takes something from this um, and are able to learn. Um, it's, it's always exciting to have people on here to talk about new yeah. things. And yeah. um, the Women's History Month series is something that I've really been looking forward to as this is not an area that I generally look into women specifically. So it's just so great to learn new things. Um, and I'm just so appreciative to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Um, anytime. And like, as always, you all, if y'all are interested in learning more about Dr. McIver's uh, research or just her organization, I will make sure I link all of her information in the description box. And if you're interested in learning more about women involved in the criminal justice system, I will also make sure I link information in the description box and you can follow us on Instagram and more life, the reentry podcast. Thank you.